Thank you, everybody. This is great. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Martin. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, and I'm a little bit nervous as well, because I haven't done this in, in a while. Um, so, uh, wait a minute. Yeah, that's better. Okay, sorry about that. So, um, for about the last decade, I was a solo pastor at a, at a smaller church. So, uh, I would preach, and I'd preach to camps and stuff like that, so probably over 60 times a year I'd be preaching. And then, and I also did stand-up as like a side hustle to like provide food. And, uh, and... <laughs> And I do that like at least once a week as well. So for about the last decade, I have been speaking in front of a group of people like a hundred times a year. And then COVID happened and all of that went away. <laughs> um, it's really terrible when you spend your entire life learning how to talk to groups of people in person. And then that is the most dangerous thing that you could possibly do. Uh, so I'm a little bit nervous when I got here that I, that I was going to just like go nuts and like just explode all, every, all over everybody because I have so much that I want to say. Uh, in, in public speaking world, that's called fire hosing. Uh, that's when the speaker has so much that they want to say, so much information that they're trying to communicate, they just blast it all at the people who are listening. And the bad part about that is, one, you don't learn anything, and two, it's unpleasant. Um, it's not a very good scene when you leave church and someone asks you, what did the preacher talk about? And your answer is, a lot. Just a lot. So I don't want to do that to you this morning. Uh, although in some ways it would be a valuable thing to do because the reality is um, a lot of us feel like we're getting fire hosed all the time. If you have one of these, if you live in the age in which we live right now, then it's easy to constantly feel as if there's this onslaught of information aimed at you. And not just information, but like opinions and facts and different facts and, and, and interpretation and all of this stuff is just firing at us nonstop, nonstop, and it feels like we can't ever turn it off. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I find myself in the middle of this, it's easy to get, to get scared and angry and overwhelmed, and, and I don't know what I'm doing. And then the next thing, I find myself arguing with a stranger online about how sandwiches should be cut. Like... That's not a thing that any mature human should do. Like, you should not be concerned about any sandwiches that you are not eating. But it's easy for us to end up in that place where we just feel completely overwhelmed by the world around us, and we're, we're scared, and we're confused, and we're angry. And it's so easy to feel as if the world, too, is on this downward trajectory, that, that there was a time nebulous long ago that was good, and now it's just getting worse and worse and worse all the time. And we find ourselves where we start to think as if all people, or if we go to the next one, if we could go to the next slide, that we're surrounded by people who are lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, fierce, not lovers of good, traitors, headstrong, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And, and I know that this is from the Bible, but it sounds like they're describing everyone that I see every day on Facebook. It's easy to feel overcome by this as if the world's just getting worse and worse 
and worse. And we can feel scared and overwhelmed and unequipped for the world in which we've been placed. And one of the most frightening things about this is that we feel like it's new, that we're the first generation to ever feel like this. But as I can tell you from Scripture, we are not, because this is from 2 Timothy. If we go to the next slide, this is from 2 Timothy, where Paul is trying to encourage Timothy in the world in which he lives and reminding him to stir up the gift that he has in him because he is dealing with this world that has gone way off course, that has gone insane, and he feels unequipped to deal with it. One of the things that happens when we look at... uh, look at epistles, is that we're only seeing one side of a conversation. The book of 2 Timothy is inspired by God, written by Paul to Timothy. So we're only hearing one half of a conversation. But I think it's fascinating how this goes, because Paul says to Timothy right off the bat, I remind you that you should stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but endure hardship for the good news according to the power of God. And this is very good and inspirational, but we can learn from this is that if Paul is telling him to stir up the gift that's within you, to not live in a spirit of fear, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to not be ashamed of Paul, we can pretty much guarantee that Timothy was doing all of those things. Timothy was a young man that Paul had commissioned to be overseer of a church that was beyond that he felt was beyond his capabilities and even though he had a lot of gifting we cannot see from this that that Paul has left and gone on another mission Paul has now been arrested his spiritual father his leader the person who put him in charge has been arrested people are rejecting Paul people are abandoning him saying that he's a false teacher his church is now filled with these these angry people who start fights with everyone over nothing it's people are, the, the, the church is full of charlatans and liars and everybody's confused and he's even, the secular world is, is oppressing his faith and he feels that, that I don't have any gift that's in me and I'm scared of the world and he's got a spirit of fear living in him and he's ashamed of the gospel because he feels scared and overwhelmed and unequipped for the world in which he's been placed. Can we go to the next one? And what's interesting in this is that Timothy is terrified and unequipped to deal with the world in which he lives. But Paul doesn't argue with him about that. Paul doesn't say like, nah, the world's not that scary. Paul doesn't say like, nah, it's fine, you're overreacting. Paul says something very different. He says, know this, in the last days, Timothy thought that he was living in the last days. In the last days, grievous times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, fierce, not lovers of good, traitors, headstrong, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is what the world was like then. He says, yeah, it's like that, but God is still in charge. This is still our father's world. Yes, it's like this. Yes, it's as scary as you imagine. Yes, there are as many people attacking you as you think. Yes, there are as many people who are trying to undermine your faith. Yes, the church is full of liars and charlatans who are trying to use God's people for their own advantage. But in the midst of that, it's okay. God's still in charge. And in the midst of a world like this, 
It's interesting to see what Paul proposes as the antidote, what Paul proposes to Timothy as what he should do when he feels overwhelmed and scared. He says, yes, all who desire to live, again, he reaffirms this, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Martin talked about this last week. We will suffer persecution, and evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but here's the antidote. Go next. But you remain in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing from who you have learned them. From infancy, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that each person who belongs to God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul's solution to Timothy's problem, feeling scared and overwhelmed and frustrated and unequipped for the world in which he has been placed, Paul's antidote for that is get your head in the scripture. Get your head in the scripture. That's what's gonna straighten you out. You learned this Previously, for in Timothy's case, from his mother and his grandmother, he learned the truth. He, he, Paul, Paul says, sit in that. You know the people that taught you. You know that they love you. You know that they care about you. Go back to the roots of your learning and sit in that. Get into scripture. Get your head there because that's going to make your head clear to do what God has called you to do. Get into scripture, and I think I'm very confident that if we're feeling scared and overwhelmed and frustrated and unequipped for the world in which we've been placed, that God's solution for us is exactly the same. Remember what you've been taught. Remember who taught it to you, and get your head back in the scriptures. Can we go to the next one? Because the scriptures are useful I find this really interesting. If I was going to ask you or your average Christian person, or I went to a Bible college, so if I was to ask a person, give me five adjectives to describe the Bible, useful probably isn't going to be one of those five. It's probably going to be like the really spiritual people or the worshipy people will be like, oh, it's beautiful, and that's good. That's a good, true adjective. Other people will be like, the, the, the doctrine guys are going to be like, it's infallible and inerrant. And it's like, that is also true. And, and other people are going to say it's sacred and it's holy, and those are all good and true adjectives for what the Bible is. But when God inspires Paul to talk about the Bible, he doesn't use any of those words. He uses useful. It's useful. God is saying through Paul, I've given you a set of tools to use to navigate the world. Use the tools I've given you. The Bible is a tool that we've been given to navigate the world in which God has placed us, and we need to use it if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be. I want you to imagine for a second that I give my children a tool. I give two of my children a hammer. I have three children, so one of them gets left out. No hammer for you. But the other two get a hammer, right? And one of those children takes the hammer and they do hammer things with it. They like put in some frames and they like pull some screws out of an old piece of wood in the back and they like build a fence or a deck 
that they destroyed earlier with the soccer ball. They do all of the hammer type things that they do with the hammer. So that's one person. And the ha that hammer ends up being beat up and, and, and kind of scratched and, and lives down in the basement with the other tools. That's what one child does with my hammer. The other child takes that hammer that I've given, given them and they frame it make a lovely frame for the hammer, and then they hang the hammer above the mantle, right? And they tell people when they come over, that's the hammer my dad gave me. And then once a week, they watch a YouTube video where someone else uses a hammer. They're like, mmm, that's some good hammer use by that person, right? Which one of my children has been faithful in the use of the hammer? You know the answer. It's the person who uses the tool the way the tool was intended to be used. And one of the scariest things that I think has happened in the church over my lifetime is that we have taken the Bible, and rather than using it as a tool, we've used it as a decoration. We need to move away from that desperately. I have heard Christians say this, that they're reluctant to take their Bible with them in places that they go because they're worried about it's too nice. If your Bible is too nice for you to get some coffee stains on it or for it to like fall on the seat of your, on the floor of your car and get some like slush stuff on it, then your Bible is too nice. You need to get this thing marked up. You need to get it used. I just hot glued this back together last night. I can show you how I did that. I genuinely did. The Bible is a tool to be used to bring us to maturity and it's useful Get useful into your head. Let's start banging this out together. And I want to go to the next passage because this is really <laughs> important to me. So I was here for a prayer and prophecy night. And, uh, and a bunch of people, the prayer requests, were dealing with depression and anxiety. And I think that the world in which we live has made everyone's innate depression and anxiety worse. And, and, and I feel calm because I've been fighting depression and anxiety my whole life. Uh, it's genetic. It's just a thing that my family has dealt with for years. I'm medicated. I'm fine. But you can pray for God to take away your anxiety. You can do that. And God in his grace will do that for you. He will. But there's another thing that God says here, in nothing be anxious, but in everything, in, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and thoughts in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this isn't just spiritual mumbo jumbo, right? This isn't just like, ooh, wee, wee, and God is gonna lift off my anxiety while I sit and just, sit on and stare at my phone for a while and then God will miraculously lift my anxiety. God will do that because God is a gracious and a kind God. But sometimes what God wants you to do is to take your anxieties, get a pen and a piece of paper and write them down. If you're anxious, like I get sometimes, your anxiety lives in a nebulous part of your brain and it's cloudy and weird and I get scared to call somebody, and then, but if I write it down and answer the question, what am I actually afraid of, then all of a sudden I find myself writing down something like, I'm afraid that the person I'm about to call is going to hate me because I have never called them before, right? But now that I take that thought from my weird, dumb brain part onto a piece of paper, my brain goes like, that's really silly, right? And then I ask, okay, well, what do I want in response to this? Well. 
God, I guess I would like you to give the person I'm talking to a spirit of kindness so they don't hate me because I haven't called them before. And all of a sudden, what used to be frightening and terrifying is now written on a piece of paper and it's not nearly as scary as it used to be. Do I still pray? Of course I do. But I've also followed the tools that God has given me and he's allowed me to do some of the work myself because I've used his tools. One of the scariest things that I think that we've done with blessing is we, we say, God, I want you to bless me. I want you to take a bucket of blessing and I want you to dump it on my head. And God is gracious and good and he does that. God dumps a bucket of blessing on our heads. He does it because he's a good, good father. But sometimes as a good, good father, God also says, okay, I've done the dump a bucket of blessing on you before, but I have also invented buckets and legs and hands so in maturity, I would like you to go get the bucket of blessing and I would like you to dump it on your own head. Because God isn't satisfied with you being a child forever. God's goal, God's whole purpose, God's entire purpose of calling you is so that you would be complete. Can we go to the next one? All of this scripture is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness so that each person may be complete. Complete is a, a weird translation because it is complete. That is one way to translate it, but, but it, it really works better for us. The word complete there means like geared up or kitted out. It's like in a military sense that you would have all of the tools that you need to go and do the job that you've been asked to do. And God's whole purpose with calling, and, with calling you and training you and giving you scripture is that you and me should be complete, fully equipped for every good work, that we're equipped, that we're mature, that we're ready to go and do what we've been called to do. And I got to admit, I've been a pastor for way too long and uh, thousands of years. And, uh, and I need to repent of something right now. Because most of what the church has done during my ministry career is we've really focused on inspiration. We've really wanted people to be inspired because that's what makes us feel good. People are attracted to inspiration. Then we get bigger crowds and we get everybody's all motivated and they feel really inspired. And as we've done that, and inspiration is good, as we've done that, we've left equipping behind. And I think that that was dangerous for us to do. Because if you're inspired but unequipped, you start to do things wrong. If you want a picture of what it looks like to be inspired and unequipped, has anybody ever heard of the show Nailed It? No, okay, so let's go to, Nailed It is basically a show where people try and make a dessert that they have seen a professional person make themselves. And we can see that this person was very inspired to make the Cookie Monster Cupcake, but they were not equipped to make the Cookie Monster Cupcake. And this is what they ended up with. Can we go to the next one? We're wondering why is it that we as a church feel scared and unequipped and, and, and frustrated and angry every time the world starts to go nuts. Maybe we've been inspired but unequipped and we wanna do this but because we've never been trained, because we've never used the tools that God is in us, we're making this weird tube of melting things. 
Can we go to the next one? I have a big problem with this one just because the SpongeBob cake should be at least easy to get the shape right. Right, the pan already comes in SpongeBob shape. Right? So you should be, this person has been so ill-equipped that they didn't even have a pan, obviously. In, we are, I, I, I genuinely believe this. I think that the age of inspiration is coming to an end and we need to enter the age of equipping. Because the world is just as it has always been going to be insane. Liars are gonna be liars. There are gonna be charlatans and there are going to be people who are trying to take advantage of God's church. There are going to be boasters and people who are trying to dissuade us and push back on everything that we have been called to do. But the age of equipping needs to begin where we do what we have been called to do. Can we go to the next one? Where we become thoroughly equipped for every good work. This city, I've lived here for a long time, and I love, I, I really love the city of Edmonton. I really, really do. Uh, it's weird, and there, I love, one of the things I love about Edmonton is that all of the ugly things and beautiful things are right on top of each other, right? And it, it's, it's, the city demands something from you. It dem you gotta be tough to live here because of winter and dirt and everything else. And what this city, what I feel like God is calling us to is that what this city needs is not people who are merely inspired, who see the works that are doing, and they're like, I wanna do that, and then fumble towards it without using any of the tools that God has called us to, get to use. God isn't calling us to just set our Bibles on the mantle and watch a YouTube video of somebody using that once a week. God is calling us to get equipped. God is calling us to do the things that you and only you have been called to do. God is calling you to get trained and ready for the job that he has planned for you from the beginning of eternity. And he is inviting us all to step into that together. So I would like you to, to, to stand as we close our service and as we begin to pray together that God would give us a hunger for his word, a hunger to be trained and equipped to give our lives for this city in which God has placed us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for these people, both in this room and online, people for you whom you have given your life and people for whom you have risen from the dead and people for whom you have inspired a book of literature that equips us to be the people you have called us to be. And I just pray at this moment that you would give us a hunger for your word, that you would give us a desire to be equipped by it, that we wouldn't see it as a decoration, that we wouldn't see it as an add-on, that we wouldn't see it as an extra, but we would see it as essential for us to be and act the way that you want us to in the city in which you've placed us. And I ask that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord show his face to you and give you peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.